I want to get right into the word of the Lord, but I've got to say something about my family. All of my kids and all of my grandkids uh, here, and I'm so grateful. Used of God in church, ministers of God, I'm just uh, thankful so much. And I was thinking to, uh, today and yesterday that my friends loves to get me and my wife on opposite sides when we play games <laughs> because they like to see a good cat fight. <laughs> and that's okay. And the reason why you'll see a good cat fight is because we both love to win. <laughs> and uh, anyway, <laughs> she, anyway, she says that I cheat. <laughs> well, I've got to confess, I do a little mischievous <laughs> tricks every once in a while. But let me tell you something. You put us on the same team and you're on a winning team. You're on a winning team because we're winners. Amen, amen. 57 years, my bride. I'm glad to have her. She is, she's one of the best soul winning people in our church. And uh, we made a great team. She'd bring them in, and I'd pray them through. And that's kind of how we got what we got. Amen. I want to turn to your attention to First Chronicles chapter 17, and I'm going to read the first 10 verses today and talk to you a little bit about the making of a man of God. First Chronicles 17 and 1. Now it came to pass, as David sat in his house, that David said to Nathan the prophet, Lo, I dwell in a house of cedars, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord remaineth under curtains. Then Nathan said unto David, Do all that is in thine heart, for God is with thee. And it came to pass the same night that the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell David my servant, Thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not build me an house to dwell in, for I have not dwelt in a house since the day that I brought up Israel unto this day, but have gone from tent to tent, and from one tabernacle to another. Wheresoever I have walked with all Israel, spoke I a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedars? Now therefore, thus shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheepcote, even from following the sheep, that thou shouldest be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with thee whithersoever thou hast walked and have 
cut off all thine enemies from before thee and have made thee a name like the name of the great men that are in the earth. Also, I will ordain a place for my people Israel and will plant them, and they shall dwell in their place and shall be moved no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness waste them any more as at the beginning. And since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, moreover, I will subdue, subdue all thine enemies. Furthermore, God says, I tell thee that the Lord will be, build thee a house. Now, you will find that in the Bible, it talks about the house of David or the house of Moses or the house of Abraham. And the word house to God is family. So it's talking about David. I am going to build you a family. God bless you. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Some books in the Bible, when you're reading through the Bible, they're hard to understand and difficult. You, you've got to almost have a spiritual mind to even comprehend anything that, that's being said. So, a lot of times what happens is that when you come to these hard places, if you read through the Bible, you might skip over that part and go on about your business. Um, I'm going to talk a few minutes about one of the hard places. But this particular reading, you've got to understand something. When you're reading the book of First and Second Chronicles, it's the same history as First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. Same history, same history, except that in Chronicles it's much different perspective that has been given. It comes from a totally priestly perspective and temple perspective. The books of First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, you look at that about the divided kingdom and so forth. It is talking about the prophetic and the political viewpoint. In other words, all of these alliances and everything else and the things that the prophets had to deal with when they were uh, to speak out against them. But the book of Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, was written from this priestly temple standpoint, and it omits a lot of the things that you will find in the other history books that it covers. And it's, it's, on, it's an intentional omission that's given there by the one that's writing. There's, there's, there's so many things that are omitted, and I'll tell you why. There, there's no real confirmed author of who wrote 
the Chronicles, but most people believe it was Ezra because Ezra was a priest and it's so heavily written and from a priestly standpoint that it's very possible that it was Ezra and I do believe Ezra was the one that wrote it. It's not written not only after Israel and Judah went into captivity, but when the first remnant came back from captivity from the Persian Empire to rebuild the temple, which had been destroyed. Ezra was there at that time. Okay, stay with me here. The first nine chapters of the book of First Chronicles, hard reading hard reading. Nine long chapters. All that you find in these is just name after name. Then you turn over to Ezra and it's connected together with what I'm, what I'm teaching. And that is there's more names, just names you can't, you can't pronounce. You just, they're so hard to pronounce. You think you're speaking in other tongues. Amen. Just trying to deal with what's listed there. But I wonder why God put that in the Bible. I wonder why all this list of names that's given there. Because it's in God's Bible. And if it's in God's Bible, the Bible says of itself that it's forever settled in heaven. It's an everlasting word. God's word is everlasting. And so here we are with all of this, this the names that's listed here. They're, they're in, God makes it a part of his word. He makes it a part of his word. So here's what happens. When people begin to read through the Bible, God says, this is on the path all the way. You're going to have to walk through all of these names if you're going to stay on the path. Now, you can take the ditch if you want to, as they do in South Africa, because of the potholes and so on. You can take the ditch and go around. But if you're going to go through, you're going to have to go through the names. And why did the Lord put those names in the Bible? I'm glad you asked, because there's... Uh, there's something special about it. Amen. It's a sacred cemetery. It's a sacred place where God has put on headstones all of these names of people that are very special. That, uh, there's a reason why. Now, who are they? They're the people that when in 60 or no, 70 years of captivity, while they were in captivity, they were comfortable. The people of God had been taken out of their homeland because of the punishment that God had given. And uh, they got settled in. They, had, they, they built their houses, put their kids in the schools. They probably purchased some dry goods stores and so forth. And here they were. At the end of those 70 years, though, God says, you can go back. And there was an edict that was given to go back. About three million of them came out of, uh, of Israel. And how many do you think decides we're going to go back? 
go back to what? What is left there? There's no Jerusalem. There's no temple. There's nothing but ruins that's there. Uh, how many of you think would make that decision? I'm going back. 49,000. 49,000. When you read it in the Bible and stumble across these names, somehow another God says, I want it to be forever put in an everlasting book. The names of those that decides I'm ready to sacrifice for God. I'm ready to get out of where I'm at in this Babylonian and Persian atmosphere. I'm ready to go back and do something for the kingdom of God. Amen. I'll give up. I'll give up my dry good business. I'll take my kids out of school. I'll, I'll fight those 900 miles of trying to get through a wilderness and, and all of that. I don't know what I'm going to find when I get back. But God says, if you do that for me, you mean you'll do that for me? He says, then this is what I'm going to do for you. Write their names down. Write their names down as an everlasting testimony. I want the whole world and every generation to know that there's people still around that loves my cause and loves my kingdom more than their comforts and everything else. Come on, let's praise God, somebody. Come on, let's praise him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And so the Lord puts all of this in the Bible. And then he talks about the rest of the book. The rest of the book is about David. Now, why did he do this with David? What, what with, with so many things that was left out? Example, let me give you an example of some of the things that's left out of the book of Chronicles. David's sin with Bathsheba, totally omitted. Uriah the Hittite, whom David had killed, you won't even find mentioned in the book of Chronicles. David's son, Absalom, who led a rebellion against him and drove him out of Jerusalem, it's not even mentioned in the book of Chronicles. The book evidently was written to encourage people to be a blessing and for people to focus on the positive and say, okay, now, come on, we can build the temple. Come on, we can do this thing. Amen. Look how easy it is for us to fall away from God because originally when we were, had the temple and we served God, we were blessed of God, but look at what's happened. Then you look at the northern kingdom, you won't even find it mentioned in the Chronicles. You won't read anything about Ahab and his lovely wife Jezebel, nor Elijah or Elisha. Everything you read is, is what's happening in Jerusalem. So it's the aim of this book to encourage people to build the temple. But the main point is since the rest of the book is about David, what is it about David? 
What is it? What's the real deal that's there about David? Let me tell you, there's nobody in the whole Bible like David. If you studied the life of David, he was a man, the Bible says, is after God's own heart. And God was called, or Jesus was called, not the son of Moses or the son of Abraham, but Jesus was called the son of David. Even after David had all of these faults. Amen. Hallelujah. David made some colossal blunders, but what was it about David? One of the things that I've noticed about David is that he said prayers in the Old Testament. Those prayers in the Old Testament, you would think was the Apostle Paul or Apostle Peter could only pray. And the reason is because David had such an insight into God there was no other prayers in the Bible that are close to the prayers of David. I want to preach on prayer, but I don't, I've got to preach on. He understood the grace of God, and nobody in the Old Testament could pray prayers like David. You, not Jeremiah, not Isaiah, not Moses, not Elijah. And the reason is he prayed. He said, God, if I die, if I die, oh God, make sure that you direct the heart of Solomon and the people's heart to serve you. Make sure you grab hold of their hearts to serve you. Nobody prayed like that in the Old Testament. What they prayed was, God, help me. Give us rain, Lord, for our crops. God, help us to keep the commandments. God, give us victory in our battles. But when it came to the hard situation, nobody prayed because David is deeper than just asking for blessings. He wanted God to open up the heart. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Wanting to put something into our hearts here in this place. In the next, come on, let's praise him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. It's so amazing to me because this man that had so many failings is so special to God. And the only one that we find in the Bible where it says it's a man after God's own heart. God protected David. God blessed David. God provided for him and showed mercy unto him. And when David fell, God helped him get back up. I'm asking you, what is it about David? What made him so special? Elijah, <laughs> I can't relate to, and I don't think you can either, too much. Amen. Oh, yes, when he got discouraged because Jezebel was after him to kill him, we have all can re relate to discouragement. But jumping over rivers, calling fire down from heaven, amen, that's not something that we usually see happen every day. But David, David never performed a miracle. David never performed a miracle. He never did anything like Moses. He didn't do anything like Elijah, like calling fire down. He's just a guy. He's just a guy. 
What I'm trying to get you to see, folks, God takes ordinary people. God can take just guys and gals and turn them into something, amen, that's after his own heart. Is that something you're interested in? Is that something you're interested in? Hallelujah. 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 <laughs> Amen. God started with David as a shepherd boy, yet he had his eye on David. If you touch David, God was coming after you. How many wants that kind of blessing? How many wants that kind of blessing on your life? Whenever David needed something, God would be there. Face a giant, yeah. God would show him how to do it. Amen. Now, that would be a miracle for me. But anyway, God was drawn to David, and God favored him. And God said, I can't do without my servant David. Even when he fell God punished them because the Bible said, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. But God made sure David ended up on his feet. Don't worry, I'm going to preach yet. Amen. Solomon built the temple, although David set the whole thing up. But the temple today is dust. But the Psalms of David, we're still singing them after 3,000 years. Hallelujah. They're immortal. Amen. They're still affecting people today. Amen. Amen. And when Jesus was growing up, he learned from David's Psalms. He read them. Amen. The temple never did impress Jesus. He never did gush over it when they tried to tell him, look at all this. No, sir. Amen. He just said every stone is going to be cast down. Amen. But David's Psalms, yes, he quoted often from David's Psalms. Now, folks, I'm trying to get to this point. What is it about David that made him so special to God? Because that's why he's in the Bible, so we can learn something about the making of a man of God. Hallelujah. I want to be a man of God. I plan to finish my life as a man of God. I came to this conference that I might be able to get a hold of something that would make me more of a man of God than I am already. I want to be used of God until I pass from this life. Hallelujah. Come on, let's praise him a little more. So what was it? Number one, amen. David had this extreme passion for God's honor. I don't know how to say this any other way because it doesn't really sound proper. But he had this preoccupation of how God was doing. Folks, God's doing okay. 
But God loves when somebody loves his interest. Amen. God loves it when somebody is concerned about his interest. Most of us just care about our interest, and then we want to bring God in to help us out, but not David. David was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. He made me a king, and look at this beautiful house that I have for myself. But the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence is in a tent. This is not fair. It's not right. What am I doing in this fancy house and God's down there in a tent? I've got to do something about that. David was preoccupied with God's honor and with God's glory. And you notice him all the time saying, God's name must be praised. He's always looking out for God, and God looks at it this way. Whoever looks out for me and whoever honors me, I'm going to look out for them, and I'm going to honor them. That's what God says. You look out for me, I'm going to look out for you. You favor my things and my interests, I'm going to favor you. How many wants that part? Hallelujah. Come on, let's praise him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody says, no, Brother Hale, no. God is no respecter of persons. Well, that's true, but that's not true. God's not a respecter of persons when you're talking about nationalities. He never has one nation over another. He don't prefer the rich over the poor or the poor over the rich. But he is a respecter of person in this sense. It says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. You want me close, Jesus says. You want me close, then you draw me close. Amen. I'll draw you close. Hallelujah. Don't you feel that presence of the Lord right here? Don't you want to bring him close right now with praise? Don't you want to be drawn near to the heart of God? Amen. And be sold out for God's interest in the name of Jesus. Don't you want to give him glory? Oh, oh, hallelujah. 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 So if you look out for God's interest, God promises to look out for yours. First Chronicles 17 and 1. Now it came to pass, as David said in his house, that David said to Nathan the prophet, Lo, I dwell in the house of cedars, but the ark of the covenant with the Lord remaineth under curtains. Then Nathan said unto David, Do all that is in thine heart, for God is with thee. Now this is the prophet speaking, and I feel he was speaking just because this is the king not because he got a revelation. And then God told Nathan, no, 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 go back. 
and tell David he can't build the temple. So when he tells David that, David makes this statement. He says, even though I can't build the temple, I'm going to do something. I'm going to prepare for it. And God said, you want to build a house for me? No, no, no. I'm going to build a house for you. Solomon, your son, or your son will build it. But David, because you had it, now listen, because you had it in your heart to build it, I'm going to count it that you wanted to build up my kingdom. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to build up your kingdom. There's nothing in the Bible like that, folks. God says, I'll give you a succession of kings. I'll make your name famous. And the Messiah, when he comes, will be called the son of David. Why? It's because David had it in his heart to look out for God's interest. So many times we pray, God, help me with my affairs and my needs. And the whole thing can be solved if you and I would just give God honor and give God praise because God looks at the secret intentions of our heart and God says, I'll honor those who honor me. You want to build me a temple? No thanks. But now that you intend to do that and you care about me instead of enjoying your house, your family, your possessions, and you are thinking about me, then I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to do something that you won't even imagine. I'm going to do something for your kingdom. I'm going to do something for your house. I'm going to do something for your family that you can't even imagine because you've got it in your heart to do these things for me, and you intend to do it. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a good wave offering of love right now. Hallelujah. 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 Don't you feel his holy presence? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Friends, let me just tell you this. Nothing's really changed except God is not building a physical temple now. God doesn't dwell in anything made by man's hands, but God is in another building project. Hallelujah. And that's something that I can be a part of. That's something that you can be a part of. That's something that people in this room have come to this conference and you're seeking to find a place and seeking to find God's will and how I can be a part of your, your building project, God. He said, on this rock, I'll build my church. He is building a temple, but it's not a temple made with stones. It's made out of living stones. And the people that you're close to right now are a part of the temple that Jesus is building. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You want to get God's attention, then you need to understand the church of the living God is a temple and the building project God's in right now. Oh, oh, oh. 
you think God's got on his mind to right this very moment? It's not Ukraine and Russia. It's not what's happening in Washington. Amen. What does God have on his mind right now? His people. His people. Hallelujah. So when people say, I care about what's going on down there at the church. You know, those seniors and all their needs, I care about helping out with that. And, 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 and the new converts that's in the church, I care about what, what's happening with them. And getting guests to come to the house of God, I care about all that. And God looks at it this way. You care about that? You care about what I'm doing? You care about my building project? Then I'll tell you what. I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to take care of your family. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to look out for you. When the devil tries to come against you, I'm going to put a ring of fire around you. I'm going to protect you. There's a wall that I'm going to build. Amen. If you care about the things of God, God says, I care about you and your family. Oh, I love that. I love that. Oh, oh, you care about missions? You can't go to those places overseas, but you gladly give and you pray for those that can go. If you care about my house and about those that are lost and their needs, God says, I'm going to build your house. I'm going to build your family. Well, when I was pastoring, uh, I'd get a call every year just before general conference, and Brother Jack Lehman would call, and he said, Brother Hale, um, we are going to try to raise funds for our missionaries and before general conference, and I'd like to know if you'd like to take a few of the missionaries on. And so I'd say, uh, how many you got? Well, it, we got about 26 this year. Okay, all right. Well, we'll take them all. Well, the next year come around, he'd be asking the same. Okay, we'll take them all. We'll take them all next year. I think, Brother Hood, if I'm not mistaken, we're sponsoring 134 missionaries right now every month. Amen. You know why? It's because we're sold out. The kingdom of God is more important than anything in all the world. What's going on right here is more important than what's going on in Washington, D.C. today. God's more concerned about what's happening right here, amen, than all of these other things because this is the kingdom of God and it's building the kingdom. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 16. The people which sat in darkness saw great light. 
and to them which sat in the region and the shadow of death, light is sprung up. When Jesus first came, this is what he saw. People sitting in darkness. Why? Why does a missionary leave his homeland and family? Nobody in their right mind would do that, would they? Why? It's because people sit in darkness. A couple of months ago, a few months ago, I preached on Sunday, and after we had a little lunch, I came home, and I just went into my home office, sat down, and just trying to relax a little bit. And suddenly, there was the sweeping presence of God that just swept across my soul, just rubbed against my spirit. Now listen, listen to me. You've got to understand, the Muslims have trumpets to call them to prayer, but God doesn't do it that way. God gives a, a feeling of loneliness. And when you feel a feeling of loneliness sweep across your soul, if you're spiritually sensitive, you'll understand it's God's call into a secret place. Oh, how many feels what I'm talking about right now? Hallelujah. It swept across my soul, and I broke down when I was weeping. I don't know. I don't know how long it happened. But all of a sudden, God began to talk to me about missionaries. And it was so powerful, and the visitation that I connected with Brother Raymond Woodward. And uh, I asked him to give me some details of some of the funeral of one of the great missionaries of my lifetime, Brother Benin Demerchant. He sent me so much material, I could just read it and cry because this is the reason why this man had left his homeland when he was just a, a very young man with a new bride and went down to Brazil. And uh, I think it was 52 years that he was there. 52 years, went through such depression and sometimes because of various attacks of the enemy. And then, of course, he was called home just some time ago. And they said, I don't know this, how true it is, but all of their possessions was put into seven suitcases. And a number of those suitcases was filled with Sister DeMerchant's favorite cooking bowls and, and skillets and so on. All of 52 years, why would someone do that? Why would they leave their homeland and, and go? It's because people sat in darkness, sitting in darkness. 
I've been in, inundated with, with, with gospel uh, culture. Uh, I was raised in a Pentecostal home, and we didn't have vacations, but we did go to camp meetings and every rally and every fellowship meeting just about it. And if a revival was with a neighboring church, my dad would pack up his kids and we'd go to the revival. So I had it any time I wanted, I could have uh, a chance to talk to God and be around God. And, and yet here's what I'm looking at. Field of missions, many fields of missions. There's millions of people and thousands and thousands of towns where if you wanted to hear anything about God, you were out of luck. There's nothing that you could get. There's no bookstores. There's no churches. There's no radio. There's no internet. Nothing that you could find. Nothing. The Bible speaks about these people are people that sat in darkness. Now, folks, we are enjoying one of the greatest conferences that I've ever been in. I thank God for that. But you've got to understand there's a whole lot of the world that is not being touched yet. You've got to understand that there's a whole lot. And I don't know about you, but I am interested. I am interested in God's interest. And that is missions. I want to do something to help these people hear the gospel. Would you just lift your hands and thank God that you have been brought into this. What a miracle it is for you to be a part of this. Is it fair that you and I hear the gospel over and over again and so many never have heard it at all? Will they ever? Will they ever? Joseph Stalin, Joseph Stalin, the Russian dictator, took millions under his rule. And because they look at him different or would speak something that he didn't like, he would have them killed. And it's said that he killed at least 20 million of his own people. 20 million people, the scripture says, who lived in a land where death cast its shadow. In Siberia, they say so many people have died that in some cities, you can't use a shovel anywhere without digging up a corpse. For them, it's too late. 
God says, if you care about my house, I'll take care of your house. And that's what this lesson's about. God given a picture of a man of God. And it's this, the passion that David had for God and made God react back to him. The number one thing about David that drew God to him was this passion that he had to look out for God. It's like I can't enjoy what I have knowing how God is doing. I want you to notice in my closing remarks how crafty David is to help God out. Even though he couldn't build a house, he said, I know what I'll do. I'll draw close to God and wait in God's presence, and I'll find out how to build a house. So from the Spirit speaking to him, he gets all the plans for the temple and designs the temple, even though it's called Solomon's Temple. Solomon wouldn't know what beans about blueprints. He wouldn't know a T-square from a pork sandwich. Amen. It was David that put this thing all together, and David started collecting stuff. And that's the other thing about David that drew God that I'm trying to get through to this conference. He not only had a passion for God's glory, but when it came to giving, David was off the charts in giving. He said, all the gold and the silver that we've captured in battle, we're going to use it toward the temple. Amen. We're going to give to the cause of God's kingdom. Amen. 1990, 1990 was a very stirring time for me. Amen. We had, we, had, we had purchased the building we're presently in, and we had a contract on our old building. And so what we decided to do, we were going to borrow a lot of money against the old building and uh, would take that money, and then we would completely renovate the building that we were in. But there was a little problem Maybe not a little one, but a big one. And we had assumed the bond program of the church that we had purchased from the group that's there. And they had, within six months, this incredible balloon payment. Not only the mortgage paying on the bonds, but we had this unbelievable mountain of an amount of money. And uh, on top of all of that, listen, on top of all of that, the sale of our old building fell through, and now we're left with two humongous mortgages and a large debt uh, balloon payment that we had to come up with. We didn't have it. It was absolutely nothing that we could find that we could solve this problem, except I went to the Lord and prayed until I couldn't pray anymore. I cried as hard as I could cry. And all I heard was God tell me this. He said, son, you're going to have to give your way out of debt. Well, I thought, dear Lord, I, we don't have any money. We don't, we're not able to even do that. He kept saying, you're going to have to give your way out of debt. 
I called Jack Lehman again. Amen. I said, Brother Lehman, come, come do a faith promise at our church. I wanted to tell him, you're not going to get much out of us because we're dry. But come on and take faith promise pledges. And he did. And we gave and, uh, those faith promise pledges. I thought, Lord, I don't know how we're going to fulfill those faith promise pledges. But people began to be able and there was some little, there was a little oil left in the, in the, in the vessel. Amen. After they'd pay their monthly, they'd have a little oil and they'd give, they'd give that to the kingdom of God. Amen. A few months goes by, all of a sudden, our building, our old building sells and we eliminate one big mortgage. Oh, hallelujah. But we're staring another one in the face. Amen. We kept on giving, and God gave us an incredible, incredible miracle after miracle. Amen. And just a few years ago, I stood at the edge of our, pulp, our platform, and we had a fire pit right down here below us. And I held the mortgage of our church up and burned the mortgage. There's no debt on our church building because God says, if you give to my cause and my kingdom, I'll see that you have things, amen, that you only dreamed about. Come on, let's praise the Lord, somebody. says, if you give to my house and be liberal to me. Now, folks, I'm preaching to us. He said, if you'll be liberal to me, I'll be liberal to you and to your children and to your children's children. Part of the blessing that's on my life today is the blessing of my parents because they were givers from day one. We were poor. My dad raised six kids, six kids on 100 acres of farmland. He'd work other jobs. My mother, I remember her taking eggs that she'd gather, and every, every tenth egg, she'd put it in a, a carton, an egg carton, until she filled it up. She'd tithe on all the eggs, take it to the preacher. <laughs> so maybe, maybe the blessings that's on me and my wife it was God saying, oh, your parents looked out for me, and I'm looking out for them and for your children, Billy, and for your children's children. So many of our problems will be solved today if we just let go and be liberal in our giving. We need to be crazy about giving. We need to get crazy about giving. 
I sometimes go to the ATM on Saturdays and, and, and get money. It's not because I've got a lot of money. Amen. But I just want to give and be, uh, be a blessing to somebody in the kingdom of God. Amen. Brother, Brother Colton right here, he's 14 now, but when he was five years old, I don't know how he did this. He'd always run to me, not to his daddy. He'd always run to me. And, and, and Poppy, you got $5. I said, one day I said, son, uh, have you asked your daddy? <laughs> he said, no, no, Poppy, I didn't. I said, well, why are you coming to me? He says, because you're rich, Poppy. I said, I said, son, let me tell you something. I don't know what your daddy's been telling you, but I'm not rich. I'm just a giver. Hallelujah. How many loves to give? How many loves to give to God's kingdom? How many has got God's interest at heart? Hallelujah. You need to get crazy about this giving business because God said, if you're looking out for me and you're giving to my cause, I'll see that things are given back to you and you're going to be blessed and it's going to be carried to another generation and another generation. You can start something, friend. You can keep it going. You can have a legacy of giving. You can have kids that grow up and are blessed of God because of a giving liberal heart to the kingdom of God. All right, I'm closing. Hallelujah. In America, only 8% of all professing Christians tithe. Now, this was before the pandemic. That's a sad case. People can get themselves in such trouble with God that nobody can get them out of. Amen. If you honor God and you're giving, God says, try me. Just give it a try. And see if I won't open the windows of heaven. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's something that interests you, but I can't operate. I can't minister without an open heaven. I'm talking about revelations. I'm talking about guidance. I'm talking about encouragements. Amen. David is saying, come on, everybody. Come on. Be radical for God. Be radical for God. And when the people saw David giving liberally, they went wild in their giving. And when God saw that, he said, my son is going to be called the son of David. The son of David. Okay. I'm fixing to give you an altar call. Amen. An apostolic call that I feel. Psalms 110, verse 2. It says, The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Now listen. This is, this is a messianic psalm, which means that when the Messiah comes, this is what he's going to do. Verse 3, thy people 
shall be willing in the day of thy power in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth this has been translated a number of different ways one translation says your people shall be volunteers uh uh that's not correct the problem with volunteers is when they cease to volunteer they back away A more correct translation of this scripture is, your people shall be willing free will offerings. That's the people God's looking for. No strings attached, God. Here I am. I'm joining the army of God. Amen. And that's what the other part of it says, in the day of your power. But the Hebrew says, in the day of your army. I'm talking to people right now. I want you to hear that God is making up an end time army. And the way he is making it up is he's using people that says, I'm a, I'll become a free will offering. I'll love not my life unto death. I'll give myself to you, O Lord, with no strings attached. Here I am. I wonder if there's anybody in the building that decides you want to do that. Would you come forward right now? I want to give myself, Lord, without reservation. I want to be one of the warriors that Brother Gentry Mangan preached about last night. I want to be one of those that's willing, O Lord, to be used in the last hour. This is end time, and I know it's end time. Amen. But I'm not going to sit on the sideline. I'm going to be used of God, and I'm going to be a giver to the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. That's what I'm 